So last week, and it's funny because I, I taught Ephesians 1 and 2 on 4th of July, and I had two or three people say, that's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Last week, we taught on verses 3 through 5, and I had two or three people tell me, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Different people. So I, I'm evidently doing really well. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that this week, uh, people walk away saying this. But if you didn't hear those last sermons, I'd encourage you to go on to our website or get our app or get my app or my website and, and listen to those messages because last week we looked very clearly that those who do not walk in a pure life have a loss of inheritance, reward, not salvation. And it's very clear. It's not talking about a lock last a loss of salvation. In verse 3 through 5, once again, we looked at these last week. For fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And we looked at that in 1 Corinthians 3, where those who are adding wood, hay, and stubble uh, bricks to the foundation of Christ, they're born again. He says, you're saved. But yet all that you've added to it was wood, hay, and stubble. And the day of judgment will burn that up and you'll have all loss of reward. Yet your soul is saved. 1 Corinthians 3 you can read that. And we looked at a number of other verses too. It's a serious thing to stand before God. That beam of seat reward. We are going to want to have reward. Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. You're going to want them there. Well, we pick up today in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So if somebody minimizes saying, oh, being sexually pure, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, we're humans and our body, one of our highest uh, desires in the human body is sex. And sex wouldn't have given, God wouldn't have given us that, such a strong sex drive if he really expected us to stay pure and keeping that within a monogamous marriage relationship. God understands. Guys got to be guys. Boys got to be boys. So yeah, it's better if you don't. But if you do, God doesn't really care. It's not a big deal to live a sexually pure life. In 1 Thessalonians 4, evidently the same problem, a group of Christians minimizing the importance of a sexually pure life. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he, he says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. Now listen to verse 6, that no one should take an advantage of, defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us unto uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who's also given us of his Holy Spirit. And so he, he says here, don't be deceived by empty words. Sexual purity is incredibly important to you. 1 Corinthians 6 says all other sins are outside the body. But when you, sex, when you sin sexually, you sin against yourself. What does that mean? A lot of, a lot of division or a lot of discussion on that. But it, it, he's saying it's doubly, double down worse than other sins. It's, it's, it's more effective probably to your soul, your brain, your addictions, it's going to hurt you. But then he goes on to say, in the second part of, of this Ephesians 5, he says, for these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He, he's saying here, understand first of all, we as believers are going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ. 
That's the reward seat. We got the Olympics going on right now. This is literally the word they used when they gave the wreaths to the winners of the Olympic Games. So we're all in the Olympics. If you're a born-again believer, you're in the Olympics, the Christian Olympics. And we are going to stand before the group that gives out the crowns, not wreaths that are perishable, but golden crowns that are eternal. Now, on the other hand, those who have not believed on Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to go before a white throne judgment, and they're going to be judged to an eternal damnation over their sin. So what is he saying here? This should be sober to you. Because as a believer, you're going to lose reward, but a non-believer who does the same sin you're doing will be damned into a lake of fire for the same sin. And you're going to observe this. You're going to be at both judgments. You're going to be a part of the Bema Seat of Christ, reward or lack of it. And then you're going to be before the white throne judgment where the angels are judged. We judge them. The demons that harassed you, we get to judge them. <laughs> but then we're going to see the Lord judge people and name, give an account of all they've done in their body. And those sins, he's going to say, the wages of your sin is death. And you're going to be standing there going, I partook in the same sin they're going to hell for. Read with me in Revelation 20. And I, I do pray that the hair goes up on the back of your neck. In Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by, which, by the things which were written in the books, the sea gave up the dead that were in them, the death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now he goes on in verse 8 of chapter 21, giving a list of the kind of things that will be in that book that will judge them to eternal lake of fire, but cowardly. Interesting, that's the first on the list. It's another conversation for another time. Unbelieving, abominable, murderers, here it is, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, such have their part in the lake of burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this is why he is saying be sober to realize that God hates these sins. God in justice is going to damn those sins. A number of people we talked to witnessing this last week asked them, so, do you believe there's life after death? Yes. Do you believe if you're going to heaven or hell? And several of them said, well, I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, you know, because I haven't done the big things. I haven't murdered anybody. <laughs> Others would simply say, ah, I'm hoping that be, being a good person is, is going to reign pretty high on God's list and I'll make it to heaven. That was their, their hope. And then to say, but what about your sin? That was the question. But what about your past sin? I don't know. I'm hoping God just sort of ignores that. And I asked them the question. I said, well, let's say a guy murders somebody. He gets caught. He's put in prison. It takes two years before his court case comes. During that time, two years in prison, a complete turnaround. He's a different person. He got counseling. Let's say he got saved. He's going to chapel. His whole life is now full of good works in those last two years. And he comes now into the courtroom and he tells the judge, I am not the same person. I, I feel horrible about murdering somebody. I wish I'd never done that. I will never do something like that in the future. I'm a different person. 
I think the judge would say, I can tell. I, I think that's wonderful. But I asked the people, so will the judge let that guy go? <laughs> They're like, no. Well, what's going to happen to that guy? He's going to get put in prison for, his, for life. And I said, yeah. Because the judge, no matter how impressed he is at his last two years of good works, still has to be just, right? Yeah. So you're standing before a just God. Your sins, no matter how good you've done in the present years, how are they not going to be justly judged? And they're like, I'm dead. <laughs> Let me tell you the gospel. Jesus took all your sins upon him, and he was judged by the Father. The Bible tells us this, that the wrath of God fell on Jesus. And on the cross, he bore our sins. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Jesus, who lived a perfect life, now knows what it's like in human flesh to have sin upon him. And for the first time, he's, accept, he's, he's, accept, he's experiencing what all of us, before we knew Christ, experienced, and that is a separation from his father because of his sin. But the good news is he died and rose again, means that he has paid the penalty of your sin. It's justly been judged in Christ if you'll receive it. And man, I'll tell you what, what a wonderful gospel we have. But Paul here is trying to help these Christians in Ephesus. Remember, they have the goddess Diana, the, the big part of the temple. This, one of the seven wonders of the world at this time was all the temple prostitutes. And they were all there. They had given their lives to prostitution for the goddess Diana and, and they would get money to raise money for the religion this way. And it was a common practice that these things would happen. And Paul is trying to say, don't you understand that now as a believer, the things you're practicing as a believer, you're not going to go to eternal hell because you've received the gift of Jesus Christ, but you're going to observe people that were in the prostitution room next to you be judged for the very sin you did. But they're going to eternal hell for that. This is no light thing. It's not like, oh, well, if I live sexually pure, you know, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. If I don't, I'm just a Boy Scout, you know. No. He, he's trying to help them understand the depths of immorality. And so he plainly says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Literally, that word should be partner or fellow companion. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers. It's the same word, only found twice in the entire Bible. This is it, partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel, fellow companions. So just as we're fellow companions, Jews and Gentiles in the same church, he's saying, do not be fellow companions with those in immorality. Let's not forget, remember in the church, we have an example of a guy living sexually immoral. He actually married his stepmom. And the church was thinking, we don't judge people. So, hey, I'm glad. Hey, I'm glad you got married. It was a beautiful wedding. And the church was accepting this union with the man and the previous wife of his dad. And Paul says, your rejoicing in this is absolutely wrong. And the next time you get together with him, my spirit being with you, judge sets a one. We don't condemn them to death as they did in the Old Testament, but they're excommunicated. They're outside the church, and this is what happened. And later on, the guy did repent because he didn't have the fellowship. When the Bible says where two or three get together, whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And when the church excommunicated that guy and shut the door to him, God shut the heaven's door to him. 
And so this guy eventually crashed and burned. And Paul said, now that guy's repented, go get him. And then he says to the church, it was a hard thing for me to say this to you because I know it grieved you. But it was necessary that you come to a godly repentance. Look at 2 Corinthians 7 with me in verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then he goes on to talk about a godly repentance in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with the letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now, in verse 9, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. The Greek word there, soteria, it's not referring to eternal life or eternal salvation at this point, but it's talking about a health or a deliverance. That your repentance brought you health. Your repentance brought you deliverance. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What did it look like? What's a godly sorrow look like? What diligence produced in you? What clearing of yourself? What indignation? What fear? Not, not afraid of God, but an honor or respect to God. What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? In all these things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. And so Paul in this letter in Ephesians is trying to bring the Ephesus church to the same sober reality. If anybody has told you, no big deal looking at porn, no big deal going to the strip bar, no big deal, whatever it is. In the spirit, I'm, I'm not literally having an adulterous affair, but... Uh, me and the secretary at work, we, we do a little sexual banter back and forth. Well, that's, he says, in the flesh and in the spirit. Be sober in this. And if somebody's telling you, you know what? I've been a Christian 10 years and, and I, I've never really got that area of my life clear. And it doesn't seem to matter. I, I don't sense a conviction about it. I don't think God, I think the church makes a big deal of it, but I don't really think God cares because I, I'm doing great. Life's going on. I, I, I'm not reaping what I'm sowing. I, I don't have the earth opening it up and swallowing me up. So I, I don't think God really cares about sexual purity as much as they sound like it at church. No, God cares. Don't let anybody deceive you. In verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. Do a practical thing. Walk as children of light. So when we have the Holy Spirit come into our life as believers, we don't try to shine as a light. We are by nature light. We are by nature salt. But we can do something unnatural to the salt. We can do something unnatural to the light. We can take the light and stick it under the bed or put it under a basket. No. Be sexually pure and free. You guys know what freedom really is? Freedom is not being able to do what you want. Some guy hits the lottery and so he buys himself a barn and fills it up with alcohol from floor to ceiling because he can afford it. Still got millions in the bank. And now he walks out to that barn and says, I can drink every day as long as I want. There's enough alcohol in this barn to last me 10 lifetimes. I'm free. Don't have to work. I can just sit now out here in my barn and drink all I want. Is he free? You're not free when you can do whatever you want. You're free when you can do what's right and it's not hard for you. This is when we raise our kids. We're like, hey, you do the dishes today. You do the other kid, you do the dishes this day. And they're like, oh, it's so hard to do the dishes. 
And we have a dishwasher. But when they were young, two, three years old, making them, no. When they were, you know, when they got around 10 years old, it's like, hey, you got this responsibility. Oh, it's just so hard. I can't do it. I would tell them, I'll do it. But you're going to stand there and watch me do it. And of course, that's almost as painful, more painful, you know. And I'm like, look how long it takes me. I want you to time it. It took me two and a half minutes. They got to take out the trash of the house. Oh, it's so hard. Let so-and-so do it. You know, I don't want to do it. You know what? I'll do it. You just got to walk with me while I do it. That's even harder. Okay, it took two minutes. But I want them, when they hit their adult life, I want them to be able to take out the trash and it not be hard. I want them to do the dishes and it's not hard. I want them to be able to do housework and serve and it's not a difficult. You're free when you can do what's right and it's not a burden. That's freedom. God isn't a prude up there in his puritanical hat and his black robe and his white collar. We're the witches. Uh, We're the sexually immoral people Uh, because we're righteous around here. We're a bunch of Puritans and we... No. God's looking at his kids going, I want you to be free. And I created sex, yes. I created it in these boundaries and these boundaries only in marriage between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that, it's going to put you in bondage. I'm not saying don't do it because I'm a prude. I'm saying don't do it because I want you to be free. It's like the guy who says, have you noticed those gas prices? You know, the whole thing's a farce. Because your car will run on water just as well as gas. Don't pay those gas prices. And so he gets his hose and fills up his tank in his car with gas and starts it up and it's running just fine. Well, what's going to (laughs) happen? He's going to get halfway down the block and the thing's going to blow up, right? In the same way, God knows what fuel (laughs) works for you and what's going to gum up the engine and destroy the engine. Maybe of your brain, maybe of your soul, maybe of your spirit, maybe all three. You're not free because you can do what you want. You're free when you can do what's right in God's boundaries, and it's not hard for you. But if you start dabbling in this, and this is what he says in verse 8, so you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Remember back in earlier in Ephesians 2, listen to God's definition of us before we came to Christ. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you once conducted yourself in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But he goes on in verse 11 of Ephesians 2, therefore remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. And at that time, you were what? Without Christ, aliens of the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. We were in bad place, guys, before we came to Christ. We were in a very dark place. We were being held captive by the powers of Satan, whether we knew it or not. You go down to the strip bar where, where the dancers are dancing, and you were to walk into that place where everybody's drinking and watching the girls take their clothes off. Is that going to be a dark place? <laughs> or is that going to be a light place? Is that going to be a place of joy? Or is that going to be a place of covetousness? Is that a place of fellowship with other guys? Or is is that just a place where everybody's consumed with their lust? And after a few hours of that, they've lost a lot of money and they leave and they're coming home to their families. Is their family going to be benefited by his two hours at that bar? Is his marriage going to be benefited by those two hours? Do Do you understand that darkness isn't going to leave. 
You left that place, but the darkness goes with you. It goes home. It goes to your family. It goes to your marriage bed. You wake up the next day, that darkness is upon you, and now it's becoming an addiction. It's becoming a consuming fire that's going to consume you to go back and to add to that until no matter how many times you go to that thing, you won't be satisfied. You're creating an appetite that cannot be filled. That's what sexual sin does. So now you are light in the Lord. So we need to walk as light. There's so many scriptures on light. I think of Jesus coming, the Messiah. One of the main prophecies about Jesus coming when they're looking for the Messiah is this in Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them, what? A light has shined. They were walking in darkness. And Jesus came. He was a great light. Isn't that what he wants of us? Doesn't he he want us just to be free? I'm free. I love sex with my wife. I, I see other beautiful women and my heart's not covetousness and slobbering and oh I want I want that body I want that body I want you're consumed you're not free you're not free to love people you're not free in your mind you're not free in your spirit you're not a great light you don't have the joy of the Lord God is not trying to quench you with some Judeo-Christian ethic that's suppressing and smothering you like a wet blanket he's trying to set you free In Matthew 4.16, it says, The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. Matthew talking about the prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus. And upon those who sit in the region, the shadow of death, light has dawned. John 1.4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus in John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Paul was told, here's what your ministry is, Paul. You're to go to the Gentiles. And this is a word from Jesus. And notice in Acts 26, 18, to open these Gentiles' eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. So now we, Paul says in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Going on in 1 Thessalonians 5 Verse 4 and 5, you, brethren, are not in darkness, talking about the rapture of the church, that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of what? Light. The sons of day were not of the night, nor of darkness. So walk as children of light. Jesus said it plainly in Matthew 5, 14, you now are the light of the world, like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. In Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Christ was once on this earth. He was the light no longer. He's brought us now out of darkness. In John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So now we come back to you, believers. Believers were to walk in the light. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 18. Do not be unequally yoked together as unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has what? Light with darkness. What accord has Christ and Belial, a name for Satan? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? 
What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch us what is unclean. And I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The apostle John explains it this way. This is the message we've heard from him. This is it. If I were to, if I were to, my three years under Jesus's tutelage, if, if you said, just give me a, in, a, in a sentence, what did you learn from walking with Jesus? He said, this is it. I, this is what we heard. I'm going to declare it plainly to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So now, as believers, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And notice we're not perfect. We're not sinless. Notice the very last phrase of verse 7. As we're walking in the light as he is in the light, we still sin, don't we? The blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us, keeps on cleansing us from all our sin. He goes on in 1 John 2, 8. Again, a new covenant, a new commandment I write to you. Which things is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Going on in verse 9. He who says he is in the light, and now he gives an example. It's not about lust or sexual sin, but about hatred. So a believer who says he's walking in the light but has hatred in his heart for his brother is in darkness until now. A believer who's a believer but walking in darkness. But he who loves his brother abides in light and there's no cause of stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Reminds me of that Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the just or the righteous is like a shining sun and shines ever brighter unto that perfect day. And so he is saying to these believers in Ephesus where sexual immorality is permeating, you are in light. You know the truth of the light. The people around you in darkness need that light. But yet they can't see it because you're walking in darkness. The very sin that guy next to you at the strip bar is going to burn in hell for, you're going to lose reward for but yet you're going to be looking at him and he's going to be looking at you as he's judged and cast into the lake of fire, into the outer darkness. Such things should not exist in Christendom. Again, there's no condemnation. God's not trying to condemn us. He's trying to bring us into the joy of that fellowship with him. Talked to a guy this week. At the pier, it was a, a guy and his wife, and they were Catholic, and they had a couple little kids. He had a couple teenage kids that weren't there. And we started talking to him about the Lord, and he said, yeah, you know, I'm Catholic, and that's all I need to know about religion. <laughs> well, what does a Catholic church tell you about Jesus? Didn't really know a lot. But can I tell you about Jesus? I just want to talk to you about Jesus. You guys love Jesus, right? Catholics are... They love Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. We should have that, at least that common ground. We could talk about Jesus. Tell me what you know about Jesus. I'll tell you what I know about Jesus. And then we ask him the question, what did the Catholic Church tell you how to have eternal life? He goes, I am scared to death because I don't know if I have eternal life. When I'm struggling with sin, I, I don't think I have eternal life. And, and honestly, I struggle with sin every day. I don't think I have eternal life. Even though I am the best Catholic you will find, I just, I'm terrified in dying. And just said, can I share some verses with you? Because that's not what Jesus wants for you. And then we shared about Jesus and, and just asked him, can you believe in that? Can you believe that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Yes, I can believe that. Then you will not perish. You will not have everlasting. You will have everlasting life. Wow. Well, what do you guys do at church? (laughs) That's what he asked me. And I said, you know what we do? We just learn more about Jesus. Because I do not think you have to be go to our church to be right with God. Matter of fact, Carlos, I think one of the ways you can tell if a church is not from God is if you have to be right with a organization to be right with God. When you're not right with the organization, you're not right with God. You, can, you, you do not have to be right with our organization. We are just fellow people, just like me and you, Carlos, are talking about Jesus. We come together and we talk about Jesus and we encourage each other and they share what they learned about Jesus. I share what I learned about Jesus. And, and this is what we do. We just want to be lovers of Jesus. Okay, I have eternal life. What am I supposed to do now? And I said, I'm so glad you asked, Carlos. Love Jesus. How would I do that? Okay, you said you have a teenage kid. If that teenage kid turns 25 years old, how can they love you? I first ask, let's say that 25-year-old kid cuts you off and doesn't talk to you, wants nothing to do with you. Do you still love them? He goes, absolutely. They're rude. They cut you off. They don't talk to you. They're mean to you. Do you love them any less? Absolutely not. God loves you that much. He's your father. He loves you. But now let's say your kid didn't cut you off, but they're, how, how can they love you? He goes, I have no idea. I said, isn't it just to spend time with you? I mean, if your 25-year-old kid said, hey, dad, I want to go have breakfast with you, would that make you feel like, wow, this is awesome? Hey, I want to go for a walk with you. Hey, I, I, I met this guy, and I want you to be the first to meet him. What if they just came over and they sat on the couch and they handed you a cup of coffee and just started telling you about their life? Would any of those things make you feel loved? He goes, yes, that's all I want. That's all I, that, that's like a dream. If my kids would do that for me, I would feel like I have the best relationship with the world. I said, that's all God wants. God wants you to just abide with him, just to be with him, to desire to be with him. You read the Bible, he talks to you, you pray, you talk to him. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just coming over and I'm going to spend an hour with mom and dad and they're sitting on the couch. Well, what's going on? Well, that's really none of your business, dad. And, you know, oh, well, let's just talk about sports and and politics. Okay, I've got to go. See you later. They spend an hour with you. You could not feel loved, right? They've got to want it. This is what we're talking about, abiding. And then I, I said, what you're experiencing, if you're in darkness, you can't abide with light. Light abides with light. Darkness abides with darkness. Satan is the dark one. He's the one that people, even if they're Christians, are walking in darkness, are in fellowship with him, even if they don't want to be. A Christian? Think about it. A Christian as a companion with Satan and demons? Yes, this is what he's saying. If you abide in darkness, I like to hang out with darkness. I love darkness. I want darkness. I'm enjoying darkness because it makes my flesh feel good. You're in fellowship with a very dark world of man and demons. But if you desire to walk and abide in the light, there's no end to the fruitfulness of that. And to be able to just come into the light, I'm free. I love the light. You know what the light does? There's some dark things in me every day. I'm in sinful flesh. The light kills all the fungus. (laughs) The light kills all the bad stuff. As I'm abiding in the light, I'm loving on Jesus. Jesus is loving on me. This is so essential that we get it. 
that Paul is saying now in verse 9, the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness and righteousness and truth. I'm addicted. What are you addicted to? Righteousness. I can't get enough. Purity. I can't get enough. Goodness. I can't get enough. I just want to serve people and love people and help people. And I want people to be encouraged and uplifted. This is what he's saying. It's a fruit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. I think I I missed a section there. Oh yeah, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 and 5, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. We read this a minute ago. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God, that you would make your vessel walk in light, not in darkness. But when we read that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 there, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not in the passion of lust as Gentiles who do not know God. It's a weight. It's like, I'm getting crushed. I, I feel like I don't do this and do this. How are you doing? I got to not do this. I'm trying to not do this stuff. And I'm trying to do this stuff more. Did you read your Bible? It was hard, but I read it. I don't remember anything I read, but just be happy I read it. I went to church. I prayed. I hated it, but I prayed. And I didn't do that. I wanted too bad, man. I, you don't know how bad I wanted to do it, but I didn't do it because I hope God's happy with me being in the light. That's what it sounds like there. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You know how to possess your own body in sanctification and honor. But then you look at the very next chapter, and what do we discover in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24? Now may the God of peace himself, without any other assistance, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Ah, the burden comes off. So this is the will of God that you walk in light as he is in light. This is the will of God that I'm justified. I'm going to heaven. God's spirit lives in me. But now the next step is sanctification. That while I'm in this body, which isn't very long, that I crucify its flesh with its passions and desires and walk in the light. But even though God says, this is your responsibility, he comes back and says, I'm doing it. With you or without you, I'm doing it. Isn't that awesome? And God's nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice in Matthew 11, we see the nature of God in this area. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke is a big, giant block of wood you put on oxen. So he's saying, yeah, there's, there's a weight. There's an oxen. There's a big, giant block you put on the oxen. I'm putting it on you. On me? I'm not the size of an oxen. I know. But God puts it on. What, what, is, the, what is the yoke that I need to keep my body not in lust like the Gentiles who do not know God? This is the will of God, this yoke that I keep my body in sanctification and honor. But yet, when I put that yoke on, I can hardly feel it. It's not there. It's easy and light. Why is that? Because, again, it's out of love. You ever notice that? The mother's killing herself, raising this little baby, a one-year-old, two-year-old. You labor and labor and labor, and it never feels like labor. Because you love them so much. It's so essential. We come back to Ephesians 5.1. To imitate Christ out of love. Love God. What's it say in 1 Corinthians 13? If it's not of love, it's a clanging cymbal and a blasting trumpet. It's coming back to just say, I want to walk in the light because I love God. 
The work of sanctification, God's at work. He's going to complete it. In Hebrews 10, 14, he says, through the one sacrifice, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, notice the word sanctified in the past tense. And such were some of you in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord by the Spirit of our God. We're not fighting for victory, but from victory. So the fruit of the Spirit is not coming from you. The fruit of the Spirit is coming from the Spirit of God. And as we abide in Him out of love, the child has to want to be with the parent out of love. Well, I want to be with them because I know they got a lot of money and I don't want to get written out of the will. I got to go over to, I guess, good kids, good kids go see their parents. It's painful, but I'm going to go see my parents. And, you know, I'm going to, I, hey, I need you to call me at 11 o'clock and sound urgent because I, th- that would, 45 minutes, I can get out of there. Do you think the parent would feel that? <laughs> the moment the kid comes in, they can't wait to leave. And they're every, all 45 minutes is painful for them. Is, is there any joy in that whatsoever? So when we want to imitate Christ because we love him, and now I want to be in a sweet fellowship with him, I've got to be in the light as he is in the light to have that fellowship with him. Now it becomes this joyful thing. In John 15, we know this passage well. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. It's by the Spirit of God, as we abide in him, the Spirit of God is going to do it. God is going to sanctify a spirit, soul, and body. The Spirit of God, 2 Corinthians 3.18, is transforming us from glory to glory by his Spirit. And so the goodness, the righteousness, the truth. You'll know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. So now it's knowing the truth, but then walking in that truth. And finally, he says in verse 10, finding out what's acceptable to the Lord. The word here for find is the word for testing of metals to find out what type of metal it is. Is that 14 karat gold or 18 karat gold or gold at all? We have a test to see if it's gold. And so you need to find out, not legalistically, not out of law. See, this is the thing. Is people want to change it and, and, and say it's all out of a law. Of, tell me what I can do and tell me what I can't do. Flipping over to B on your notes, what is acceptable to the Lord? Notice in 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me. There's no law, but not all things are helpful. All, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify In 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but but I will not be brought under the power of any. It's not out of love. Romans 7.6 says, now we have been delivered from the law. We've died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. It can't be, don't. Well, I don't do this because Christians don't do that. Guys, you just turn Christianity to another religion. And being religious will not help you walk in the light because it's not love. Do you understand? Well, here's what I do. I get up in the morning. I read 10 verses of the Bible. I have my cup of coffee. I meditate on those verses. And then I pray for seven and a half minutes. And then when I'm done that, then I give, you know, I... I'm being, I'm doing it, man. I go to church, and this is how I go to church, and this is, you know, if it has any sense of legalism in it, any sense of law in it, it's not freedom. Kids are running out of churches right now because they, they just feel like it's a big, giant weight. 
When I hear people complain about church, I'm like going, I hate everything you just said. Especially if they're in a denominational church. I got to get up. I got to get my suit on. I got to go there. They have all these songs that I hate. And, and I got to, it drones, drones on and on and on and on. And I, I just don't want that anymore. I feel like everybody's judging me. And I feel like I, feel like I can't wait to get out of there. It's just, it's like going to a funeral service a couple of times a week. It's just, God hates that. Jesus He didn't wear religious clothing. The religious people hated the fact that he didn't wear religious clothing. Jesus didn't go to the religious universities. They hated that fact that he wasn't out of their institutions. When it came time for Judas to pick Jesus out at the Garden of Gethsemane, they never could have done it because he looked just like every other guy from Galilee. But Judas had to say, no, this is the guy. There is no law. All things are permissible. It's essential. It says in Romans 6, just very practically, verse 15 through 19, and we'll end here. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet now you obeyed from the heart, from the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Listen to that verse 17 again. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Here's what people think. People think that, okay, now that I'm a Christian, I get this doctrine and I pour it into me. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Start doing this. Start doing that and start doing that. So I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. I stop doing all the fun stuff because I'm a Christian now. And I want to go to heaven. And I want to be on good, God's good side. And I need prayers answered, so I want to make sure I'm a good boy. And, and they're, they're pouring this doctrine into themselves. So now I'm, I look like a Christian and I'm acting like a Christian. It's not what Paul says here. It's the opposite. He says, you are being poured into it. You see, a form, let's say we're going to lay some cement You have to have four opposing sides. And if you've ever laid cement, you know how you have to really secure those sides. Because when you're pouring in the cement, the pressure is so great that one side will bust open. But if you had three sides, I'm going to lay cement, and the truck shows up, and I have three sides of the, the form ready. And the guy's like, what are you doing? Just pour it, man. I'm paying you to pour it, not to think. What's going to happen if they pour that in there? It's just going to be a big blob, isn't it? With no usable ability. You can't do anything with that big blob. So we're being poured into this form. And yes, there are pressures on every side. Yes, it's hard. This is the boundary, and it's hard to keep myself in that boundary But he says here in verse 18, so now having been set free from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. Then he says, "Ah, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. It's not about sitting around and defining where's the thin line. You know, I I remember back when I was dating, guys would get together and say, well, how far can we go with our girlfriends or even our fiancés and not sin? You know, well, you can put your hand up their shirt as long as you don't take their bra off, you know. You can do heavy petting this way as long as the only the first two buttons on their pants come off, you know. The third button you send, you know. 
They're trying to figure out, you know, how close can I get to this thin line without sinning? God, God want, wants nothing to do with that. It has to be out of love. And it has to be because you love being with him. You want to be in the light with him. And you love being fruitful, not covetousness. You love being free to see people in a, in a joyful, healthy relationship, not lusting my head off in my heart and trying not to show it on the outside that I'm lusting. No, there, there's just this beautiful thing that happens that just says, where's the line? I just, there is no line. I'm being poured into it and I feel the pressure, but the pressure is this, I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I want to be in the light with him because I love him and I love being near him. I love abiding in him. I, I love being fruitful for him. I love all these good works coming from my life and been seeing those good, good works and glorifying my father in heaven. And, and, and that's it. Well, why don't you do that? It's not about me not doing that. <laughs> it's about if I live in this form, I'm free. But there's a lot of pressure in that form. I know, but it's usable. When the forms come off, you've got a square thing of cement that you could build a house on. If I, if I take off that form, blah, now, now it's hardening and, and there's... It's not, not of any use whatsoever. But it has to be of love. Do we get that? If it's not of love, it profits you nothing. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 13. It's irritating because religious people are irritating. You're a clinging symbol. When I see Mormons walking around or Jehovah Witnesses or I see other religious groups with all their religiousness. It's a clanging symbol. It's a guy blowing a trumpet in your face. It's not like going, oh, I want that. If somebody's in so much bondage, they are like going, I'll be religious if I have to. I just got to get out of this bondage. They do that. But what are we to be? We're to just be somebody in love with Jesus. And we're talking about Jesus. Guess what? I want to know God the way you know God. We're walking in the light. There's a power. There's a presence. Angels around about us. We're in him and he's in us and we're abiding in the light as he is in the light. And there's just all this beautiful fellowship. And yes, I fall and I trip and I stumble, but the blood of Christ keeps cleansing me. And, and it's just so joyful to be in that place. I want to stay in the light. What's the answer? The light. The word of God is the light, isn't it? Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. Thy word I have hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Again, it all ties together, but it has to start with love. And we're doing, what's the, what's the line? line? There is no line. It just isn't light. <laughs> Does Jesus live in that light? Then that's, I can live in that light. There's no more loss. There's no more don't do this and yes, do this. It's got to be greater than that. Amen? Well, Lord, thank you for your word today. And yes, Lord, we, we hear it. It's tough stuff. It's deep stuff. We, we can't just casually be listeners and get this. But Lord, we ask that you would put this deep into our soul, deep into our heart, just like as I've been meditating on this for weeks and studying on this and just crying out to you about the darkness of my own life and talking about the shadow in my own life. Lord, I don't want anything but purity and love and joy and peace and goodness and righteousness and truth. Lord, I want to be in the light when so many people I saw down at that pier, just the thought of them having not any knowledge of you whatsoever and they are hungry and crying out for that knowledge and all I had to do is tell them and they received it it just blows my mind and it hurt me Lord just think how many other people we didn't talk to who were in that same place 
hundreds of people walking by in the course of those conversations who probably had the same cry. I need a savior. I have no idea who he is. Lord, please, Lord. In these last days, in these last moments of these last days, let us run the race with endurance. Let us do the final sprint in this marathon. And Lord, above all, let us love you, love you with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. And from that love to be one to live in the light and our body becomes slaves of righteousness. And to that righteousness, we have to obey. If you're here today right now and you're at that place going, this is so for me. This is, this is the message God's been speaking to me. I'm talking to believers right now. You've been walking in such a way there's sins and weights that are weighing you down that you're not able to run the race with endurance. And God is just saying, repent. 2 Corinthians 7, with a godly sorrow. Let it produce a diligence. Let it produce an obedience. Let it produce a love to want to serve God and to do God's will because he's your heavenly father and you love him. Jesus is your Lord, your savior, your husband, and you just want to love him. Search our hearts right now. Just If that's you, just say, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. If you're not a believer here today, that's all it is, is say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I believe you died taking all my sins upon yourself. You rose again conquering sin and death. I receive it. You're born again. Your name's written in the book of life. All of heaven's rejoicing right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.